0: Welcome to My Life Chesedus Applied, episode 331. This program is dedicated by Rita Tsalyuk in memory of Ella Reitzina. This week will be Rosh Kislev on Tuesday, and we're in the week of Parshas Taildis. As has been the custom, the Minig. Based on the words of the Al Tereba, to live with the times, with the Parsha, which we read during this time. So we'll begin with Chzidis applied to Rishkedish Kislev and to the Parsha's tales. Rishkedish Kislev, firstly, every Rishkedish is unique and special, considered somewhat of a yomtiv, especially for Nashim, for women. Rishkedish being the new moon which we bench and bless in the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh, And literally means the head of the new month. You can even say the head of renewal itself, because Chodesh comes from the word Chedosh, referring to the renewal of each moon. Which means, obviously, the moon itself is not a new moon. It's the same moon exactly as it was during creation. Chazakim Kiyem baram, as the Yerushalmi and the Medish says, as strong as exactly as it was the first day it was first created on the fourth day of creation, 5,781 years ago. What is the Chiddush? The Chiddush is the new moon, the new cycle. That every 29, 30 days, it's 29 and some hours, but to round it off, you have one month that's 29 days, one month that's 30 days, the moon goes through its cycles and is reborn on Rish Chiddush. Reborn as far as its reflection to earth, as the Rebbe explains, the moon is full all the time. The moon is always reflecting the sun. But as far as the angle goes, a reflection of the sun that gives a, a full moon reflected to earth, that's anish chidosh. So you could ask, what's, so, what's the chidosh, if the moon is always full? And the Rebbe explains, because the purpose of the moon is ala Arats. That's what it says, that the Ebeshter, created two luminaries, shnei meiris ha-g'delim, to radiate earth. So since the whole purpose of the moon is radiating earth, if it's not radiating, even though the moon itself is receiving the light, it's not fulfilling its function. Which is an interesting insight, a fascinating insight actually, in general, that everything is defined by its purpose. So even though something can be in a certain state, but if it's not fulfilling its purpose, it's not complete. So when do we f- see, when does the human race, the human beings on earth, benefit from a full moon, after by the by, a full moon on the 15th of the month, and a new moon on the Rosh Chedesh? And that's not just in, in concept. A full moon, of course, inf- impacts the tides on earth. So the moon being full and shining somewhere in outer space does not affect the earth quite the same way. And the same thing is with the new moon. So renewal, as we say in the Kiddush Lavana when we bless the new moon, that we shall be renewed like the moon is renewed. Because Yisrael, Damim, Umenin Lavana, the Jewish people are similar to the moon, and they count by the moon. What, what is the similarity? Just as the moon wanes, and it goes through cycles, it goes through first the birth of the new moon, then the first quarter, then the full moon, the third quarter, and then it waxes and wanes, and then it wanes till it disappears. Just the point by the point where it becomes almost dis- or completely invisible, it's reborn again. And this is what Hashem looked up into heaven and told Moshe, "Look up into heaven." I should say, Hashem told Moshe, "Look up into heaven." ha shazelachem. This will be the new moon. The Raguachover discusses what did he see. You don't see a new moon. So that's a discussion in the uh, different svarim that talk about that. But the point was, this was the opening and the beginning of the whole Yetzias Mitzrayim. A This shall be for you a new moon, a new renewal. And with this began, the process that two weeks later they would go out of Mitzrayim. And therefore the beginning of Shnas Alavona, the year, the lunar cycle, is actually in the month of Nisan. So this is every Rosh Chodesh, But specifically Rosh Chodesh Kislev, so it's the new moon of the month of Kislev. Now Kislev has... Many components. It the first, of course, in historical is Hanukkah. The end of Kislev is always Hanukkah, the festival of lights, the idea of light. So just as the new moon is the beginning of a new birth, so Hanukkah was also Hanukkah, a rededication, a dedication of the of the mizbeach, of the menorah, of the Migdash, after it was desecrated. And in uh, in our personal application, it's the renewal of our own spiritual Beis for each one of us. That even when there may be a desecration, we renew it and the miracle that the, that the flame, that the that the oil that was was only enough to burn for one day, burned for eight days. In the generations later, Kislev also becomes a month. The month of Rosh Hashanah Yud Kislev. A month when you also have Tess and Yud Kislev, which is the... The Chagah Geula of the Mittler Rebbe, as well as his birthday, and Yudkis of the Geula, and Teskis of his birthday, and the Yartzet Estalkus the of the Mittler Rebbe. In between, you have Yudalad Kist of the anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebbe's son's marriage in the year Tofrish PeTes, and even in later generations, in Tovshin Lamet Ches, in the year 1970 and end of 1977, Shedish Kislev was the day when the Rebbe went home. For the first time after the heart attack that night of Shmini setitz and it became a yom tov yom bagsim i remember it very clearly that night the Fabrenging, that uh, it was a thursday and the Fabrenging all the way through shabbos it was a tremendous simcha that the rebbe was literally very big sakone <clears throat> which as we found out later that and came not just did he come back and went home but from there began a whole new level a whole new stage of the rebbe's Giluyim in Fabrengins and in Mifzoim, different campaigns. A whole new stage began after that the year in 19, 8, 1977, Tav Shalom et So the Shredish Kislev became a Chagagagoula in many ways. It's a Chagagagoula of the Alter Rebbe, a Chagagagoula of the Mittler Rebbe, and a Chagagagoula of the Rebbe. And now, in the order of the dates, the Shredish Kislev is the first, and Reish as Chassidus explains, is the head of something. It's not just the beginning. Reish means it encompasses the entire month. As the Rebbe explained a number of times. So essentially and briefly applying it to our lives. We all have things that we need a gu'ula from. It could be personal fears and inhibitions. It could be issues that we have with our family members, children, spouses. Many different things that we can use gu'ula protis. Obviously we all want the gu'ula klolis, which is the global... And the general gu'ula mitzvah is vashlema. But gu'ula comes on many different levels. Gu'ula pratis, which means a gu'ula throughout, is all named by the same name, gu'ula. So when you look at the gu'ulas of this month, it teaches us, and gives us, number one, the strength, the confidence that no matter what situation we're in, whether it's a health crisis like the Rebbe had, or whether a person is imprisoned physically, in this case, obviously, more spiritually, or whether it was the darkness, that uh, the desecration of the Rish and the Meneda and the oil back in the time of Hanukkah. So it gives us strength, gives us um, uh, uh, power and confidence and hope that no matter what situation is, the Shedesh Kislev is the beginning of a ge'ula. The Reish chedish, the renewal that comes with ge'ula. Specifically, when you talk about primis Satere, and the Rebbe connects it with Hanukkah as well, there's is Chaneke Shemen. Shemen is that there's three levels in Tere. There's the revealed is compared usually to water or to bread, as a liquid to water. The, the secrets of Tere is compared to wine, which is concealed in a grape, like Primis HaTere is concealed within the Nigla, within the revealed. And even deeper than that is as the Mitla Rebbe, the Bala Gu'ula and Bala yel and Balha Halula of the uh, Kislev teaches, explains in Imre Bina that the deeper level is even oil. Oil is the roza the secrets of secrets. In, in personal life, it means that when we deal with a challenge or any adversity, um, what happens? When you overcome it, you need to dig deeper and find deeper resources. So you dig into the primis of the nefesh, into the Razan and roza drazn. Accessing deeper resources, inner more innermost strengths, and that gives an ability that not only overcomes any challenge but actually transforms it. Chanukah, after the miracle, now became Han alolah batalam the Elam. From here on, these nas, these, these, these flames of Chanukah, the Beis on, the Maneda was destroyed, the base, and the Meneda, even though it's a near Tamid. Cease to be lit throughout the years of Gauls. So explains that Amban and Pasha Baal but the of Chanakah, because they come from the darkness. So it has an added intensity that something that comes through a challenge, the light afterwards can no longer be extinguished. Because it's already faced the darkest and survived, not just survived, thrived. And that's what we learn from this lesson. So whatever challenge a person is going through, we all have our challenges. We, we learn not only can we come through it, we come out stronger than ever. Short lesson from Rosh Kislev and of course all the events in this, during this month. Pasha us, which is this week as well. Pasha us, of course, Eilat us Yitzchak ben Avram. These are the children of Yitzchak and Rivka. The two children that are born in this week's Pasha, right in the beginning, the twin brothers, Esav and Yaakov. So it's such a classic Story, of course. And you don't have to look far. You don't need to look anywhere. Right in the Pesach itself. It's explaining to Rivka why she's she dealing with such a... Def- why, is dealing- why is she suffering from such a difficult pregnancy? Because... You have two nations inside of you struggling. And one rises, the other will fall. So besides reflecting the nations in history, which, will, which would emerge from Esau, who would become the ancestor and the father of the Western Roman and Christian world, ultimately. Like it says, the end of Pasha Vayishlach, Magdil Zuremi, Magdil is one of the offspring, one of the children of Esau. Reimi, that's Reimi, Rome. And Yaakov, of course, is the ancestor and the forefather who would give birth to the 12 Shvatim. And Dina, which would become the foundation of the Jewish people. So in many ways, the episode, the story of Esau and Yaakov of Ishmael Chama a hunter, a warrior. Yaakov Ish Tom Yeshiva a scholar, a, uh, a, a a pure person. That these represent the two archetypes of the nations of the world, Malchus Edim, and Malchus and the and the, and the Jewish people. The Golas Edim, of course, is this last and final long Golas. all Edim. Edem zu Eesav. Eesav is as, as Edem relates to Esau. And these two are antithetical, but ultimately will come and make their peace. As we learn later in Pasha V'Yishlach, Rashi says that ultimately when Mashiach comes will be Vaheysel HaShem Amluchah, and there'll be the fusion and the integration and the joining of the two, where, where Esau will be transformed and be able to live side by side with Yaakov. In and and personal life, Yaakov and Asef represent the Nefesh and the Nefesh ab-amis. But They're both twins. They're equal. Each has their strength. One is the warrior. One deals with Nefesh sher Is, is the, the, the animal side within us, which is not evil. If it's not harnessed, it can bring to trouble. But it itself is a warrior. It actually deals with and can cha- the challenges of this material world. Yaakov Ishtam Yeshev Aholim, the scholar, is the Nefesh HaLikis. And they both need to work together. The goal is that both should join together. Not one be annihilated. But you need them to work together. Yaakov ultimately has to train Esav, so to speak. The Esav within us to harness it to that channel and direct it toward good ends. And that will ultimately be the goal, the transformation of even the animal soul, that it joins together with the divine soul to serve God. And then it's stronger than ever, because it's coming from also transforming the so-called more animal soul within us, which is focused more on survival, on self-interest, and that too can be directed toward godliness and toward the higher purpose, which is, of course, the story of our lives. Yaakov and Esav is the story of our lives: the body and the soul, the guv and nefesh and the soul, which are in perpetual conflict with each other. Says the altar, says the barshamtiv, kisid hachemir senecha. When you'll see the chamer of your body, the chamer haguf, you'll see your seinacha, you'll assume that it's your enemy. Because everything that's bodily and physical can be the enemy of the spiritual. He says, no, you shall help it, you shall support it, you shall harness it, and transform it, as well as an asset. Levavcha with two bases, not one heart, but both sides of the heart, the right and left side, as the Altareb explains in Tanya, which means tasty foods, one is one that is tasty, is, is uh, sweet on its own. The other is transforming the bitter into the sweet, which in many ways can be even stronger and more powerful, a deeper sweetness. The nefesh and nefesh abamis, which resides side by side, the two part, the, the right side of the heart and the left side of the heart, and ultimately connect, they connect together, mo'yach shalot that the mind, which where the Nefeshali Kiss resides, affects the right side of the heart and influences the left side where the animal soul resides, and ultimately to direct them both toward the right ends, which is the challenge that each of us has in our personal lives. Okay. So with that, let's go to a question um, on the Parsha. How do you explain Yitzhak and Rivka giving birth to Esauv? How is it possible that someone as evil as Esav could come from someone as holy as Yitzchok? Did Yitzchok, make, did Yitzchok and Rivka make mistakes as parents that caused Esav to go astray? Okay, well. So first of all, let's remember that both of the children, Yaakov and Esav, Esav and Yaakov, both are this, Ela tell this, tell this yeah, e, e, As Rashi says right away, Elut um, Yaakov and Esav haamurim parsha. Interesting expression, Yaakov and Esav, that will be discussed about and are, are are told. We learn about in this parsha. The Rebbe has a beautiful diuk where he says, "What is it actually coming to say?" Besides, obviously, the pshat, just to tell us that these tell us that the pasuk begins with is what the rest of the story of the parsha of the story of Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov and Esav and Yaakov Amurimba parsha. But in a primis way, the Rebbe explains, "Amurim parsha" means Yaakov and Esav as their told to us. And the parsha are both Gdushah. They're both Taylor the Esav is also part of Tereh. Just as Yaakov is. Because the root of Yaakov and Esav are complete gedusha especially as children of Yitzchak and Rivka. So we have to remember that Esav is not an a- evil person by birth. Esav had a particular role, which we'll discuss in a moment. So Amurim but parsha is the Esav as he's seen from the eyes of the Tereh, which is Hakshidis explains how general that Yitzchak. How did Yitzchak look at Esav? Why did Rivka and Yaakov look at Esav one way and Yitzchak another way? Because Yitzchak saw Esav as he was in the Shayrisha, in his root. In his root, Esav has a purpose. And what's the purpose? As I mentioned, there's a reason we have a guf and nefeshabamis. The guf, the body and the animal soul are not evil. They were created by God just like the Neshama is. But they have a purpose. Their purpose is to represent the material world. They conceal. So as far as that, it's possible, the potential, that the concealment of the body and the animal soul can lead someone the wrong direction. But its very purpose is to transform it, actually to make a diri betachtenim, which includes the yesh v'chemer, the yesh khumri, yesh agashmi va khumri, the physical and crass yesh of the body. Esav represents that. But as Ksiddis explains, that's rooted in the highest levels. The yesh anivra is rooted in the yesh amiti, even higher than the neshama. Which is why Esav was the bchar, the firstborn, because of his shadish of Esav is deeper even than Yaakov. So, when, why did Yaakov get the first, why did Yaakov buy off? from him, the firstborn blessing? And then, in a way, deceive his father with, together with Rivka in taking the blessings that he want, were intended for Esau? Because the goal was not to take it from Esau. The goal is that Esau on his own is not directed. A body is blind. It needs the neshama to give it, to illuminate and direct it and harness it toward the right ends. The goal is that they both be twins and they both join together. But, the story goes that with the body, and the gulf of Nefeshabam is the body and the animal soul, not directed, can go off and become, like we learn about what Esau became. But never forget, that's not where it started. So when it says that they're both struggling, within the womb of Rebbe, you say, Esau was drawn toward Aveda Zora and Yaakov toward the Beis the Shul, to the, Knesset, the, Shultz, the Kedusha. So Yes, because the Guvenefesh Abam is blinded and does not see the big picture and therefore is drawn to its own self-interest and to anything that is about itself. Aniva Avsiad. But the goal is to transform Tachtenim, to transform that yesh. So when you think of it that way, Yitzchak gave birth to the very root of what our battle would be. The battle of Yaakov and Esav is the battle that each of us go through between the animal soul and divine soul. The vine soul and the animal soul, but the animal soul should never be seen as the as, as enemy. It could appear like an enemy, but should never be seen as the enemy. Ultimately, the goal is to harness and transform it, as what actually happened at the end of the story with Yaakov and Esav, and as will happen in the fullest sense of the word. Pasha Va of Tavshinun Beys, famous sikh, where the Rebbe speaks about how the Altareba was opposed to Napoleon winning. France winning the war he wanted Alexander to win the war because the Alter Rebbe felt that even though Napoleon may offer freedoms, it would be physically easier for the Jewish people but spiritually be much more challenging the Rebbe says that was then and, and but now after seven generations later we've learned to we've matured so when Yaakov tells Esav, Esav says come let us live side by side Yaakov responds Vesnalali li'iti You go ahead and I will follow slowly. Why? Because the children are young and the sheep are tender. We're not ready yet. And the Rebbe says that that's the story of the Rebbe is exactly that. The Western world is connected to Esau. The Jews were not ready yet. But then they became ready and they ultimately, Yaakov at that point said, we're not ready yet. Because he realized that Esau... Even though he initially thought that Asa was already in his body, he was already refined, but he realized he wasn't because he was ready to go to war. So there was a temporary respite where peace was made. They embraced each other, they hugged each other, they kissed each other. The two opinions with his complete heart, and not complete heart, but there was some form of reconciliation. But the ultimate would be la'asid lovey. That ultimately, Yaakov will be able to live with Esav, and because Esav will be transformed. France, and all that it represented about the self-made, the self-contained, of, of, of freedom that is not based on God, godlessness, will ultimately can be transformed and harnessed, and together with Yaakov. So therefore, in that context, Yaakov and Esav, born from Yitzchak and Rivka, represent these two forces, these two archetypes throughout history. Now, is there a painful period? Of course there is. But that's not the ultimate goal. So the brief answer, therefore, in brief, the summary of the answer is that Yaakov and Esav were born to Yitzchak and Rivka, In the shadish, Esav is all these higher qualities. Yitzchak thought he was already at that stage. But... It was, in fact, it wasn't yet actualized in this world. Esau was who he was, he ended up being. And his, from his children would come the biggest tzarehs that Jews would ever have from Edem, from the Roman, the Western world, Europe. Ultimately, everything that happened in Europe to the Jewish people. But even with all that, the end story is that they are harnessed, they're transformed. And the Rebbe explains that we are now in a stage where that whole world, that so terrorized and so killed and and murdered and genocide and holocaust of the jewish people will ultimately be transformed. Okay. So that we cover the Pasha cross referencing to previous episodes and previous years as you know we have a, a website cidissupply.com where all these programs are are stored are live there so you can access them there. So in episodes 89, 139, 188 and 189, 234 and 284, I discussed in earlier years, we're already in the seventh year of my life, at Supply. Yeah, who would believe? So in those episodes, which are all accessible at HasidahSupply.com, you can see the previous times we discussed about this, and I always like to be thorough, so I'm cross-referencing. With that m- mention, I should mention, there you'll also find the forum. Any question... Nothing is off-limits. Any question, comment, support, critique, you can freely submit there. It's completely anonymous. So please take advantage of that. And you'll also have their fascinating and powerful essays. And this year we also added the creative track. I keep looking at the creative and I'm really taken by it. People investing with creative, different ways of applying chsiddhas to life all there at chassidusapply.com, with, with many other resources, including the classes, the daily classes I do in based by Zoom and YouTube now, as well as, uh, the, as, well as resources around Samach Vov, Tzadik Dalet, and more Chsiddis. I just began this week, actually, beginning to teach in the Koylul here, which will also be broadcast as well as archived at the Koylul here, the new Koylul um, uh, in, uh, in Crown Heights. Okay, Um, with that, let us go to some more contemporary questions coming in regarding issues of our time. And of course, on people's mind is the elections, the presidential election, which is still in this weird, bizarre state. And as well as COVID and the pandemic. So let me go through some of those questions, and uh, I've done this already in previous weeks, but more questions have come in, so. So first of all, as a follow-up to my discussion last week about what our reaction should be to the elections, so Baruch Kivanti. I, well, I mean, the words that I say here are either based directly or indirectly from things I've learned and read and heard from the Rebbe, And what we learn in Chasidus and the letters of the Rebbe and the previous Rabeim, the Maamorim, their siches, their directives, stories, and trying to all uh, distill it into a workable blueprint for our life today. And uh, so it was pointed out to me that a Chov Chesvan Tov Shlomet Hey, the Rebbe actually spoke about elections, and very similar to what I said last week, or I should say, what I said is very similar to what it says in the sicha. So let me just read it for you briefly. It's in Yiddish. Um, says the Rebbe says one of the heiras, one of the dire- the lessons we learn from the bechidus Bechlal, Chav Cheshman is always around the time of the pres- of the November time of the elections. The Rebbe says, like this, that when we I'm just I'm just um, para- I'm just going to summarize it, that when we hear about uh, elections. So what is elections b'chira? in Hebrew is bechidus. What does it remind us of? Of the first election of all. Yivcha lanu esnach lesainu esgein yankiv asharaiv selah. The bchira that the Abish chose Yaakov. This speaks parsha. Bchira. Mamaila <speaking> lamata, <in Hebrew> the Rebbe says. In other words, it's not the elections we elect a, a leader, a president, or other senators, or house, or representatives, or other uh, elected officials. But this is a bchira the other way. The Abish to chose his, uh, the, Yaakov. And that in turn should evoke in us that we choose the Abishta, God. And this from this we learn that when it comes to elections where humans have to choose humans to be leaders of a community or of a nation or of a city or of a state. So what's the Nakudis Abhinah? How do you choose? How do you choose properly? So the Rebbe says, because we chose God, that teaches us that we have to choose someone that represents what God wants of us. Then the Rebbe continues, since it says, so in other words, that's the criteria. Something as closely to what God's directives are to us. Then the Rebbe continues and says, we also know that the the heart of kings and leaders and ministers is in the hands of God. Is a Ein given versus good mit sad malke? She says, even though in one place the, it was the, the one chosen to be a leader was good, meaning aligned to what God wants, but in the second place, due to the fact that people have choice, the human beings have choice, so they made a mistake in whom they chose for every reason. So, you have to know that even if they feel they made a mistake, is the Noch, you have to rely that God runs, is the one that in the hands of God is the heart of kings and leaders. That the Abishta will be Balabos, the leader over these leaders, whether it's in this country or in another country. by the Shivim Ze'evim, by the 30 wolves, which is what the nations are compared to because of the, or their historical and animosity to the Jewish people, is the Eberster of Zebalabos. God is ultimately the one that runs the show. Even if it's someone that may not appear, a person that is seemingly aligned with what God wants. This is the Sikha, I didn't change it, no shot. You can read as you wish into it. This is from of the Tovshin Shilam Continuing with the theme of elections... So I'll just read a selection. I probably got 30, 40 different questions and comments, which is usually what happens. Thank God this program is, uh, is, is reaches a wide audience, and I'm very glad to see it's uh, interactive and uh, evokes questions, and uh, please keep them coming, and I'll do my part. So here's another question, or question, another comment that came in. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for your wonderful weekly class. I always gain so much inspiration. I'm sure my question is one of many. How do I deal with anxiety on the recent elections? It doesn't bother me so much if my candidate didn't win. We're ultimately in the hands of Hashem. Correct. What bothers me more is the obvious fraud and how it came about. It bothers me tremendously that a country like America can stoop this low. It just doesn't make sense. The fact that my candidate didn't win is something I can make peace with. As Yidin, we have been through all sorts of leaders, good and bad. I just don't like the cheating. I would appreciate your perspective, thanks again. My perspective, so first of all, I will just say from a purely objective perspective, as best as one can be, I don't know what really happened or didn't happen. Obviously I hear all the sides of the story as we all do, the media reporting, the different parties. But to say there was cheating or not cheating, I'm not going to make it established one way or the other. I know this may offend many people, those that you that feel that uh, there was no cheating at all, it will offend you. Those that feel there was cheating will offend you. But I have to say, I am not authority on this matter. I did not count the ballots. I wasn't there when they counted them. I hear what's going on. And I'll be honest, as I said in the previous programs, I think as a human being and as a Jew, I don't want to be controlled by this whole, uh, this whole uh, whatever you want to call it, circus. Maybe it's not a circus, maybe it's more serious than that, but it seems that way. And I don't know whom to trust, to be honest. You know, I mean, officially there is an election in this country. And obviously those that are pro-Trump will claim that it was cheating. Those who are anti-Trump will claim there isn't. What about four years ago when Trump won? So again, those who are pro-Trump will say it was good. Those who are anti-Trump, we saw what they did. So I see this as a galgalachezer. And I think we have to stay somewhat removed. Unless you have influence. If you have direct influence, by all means, use it. So here we'll find out one way or the other. Maybe we won't find out. Maybe that if there was cheating, maybe they'll get away with it. Maybe even if there was some, did it affect the election? That's, uh, the jury is out on all of this. I go back to Leib M'lochem and Bi'Ad Hashem, the Rebbe says it, that even if it's not the way it was meant to be and we thought it would be, there is a God, and that's how you have to relieve your anxiety. Wake up Smell the coffee. Yes, there is corruption in this country. There's corruption in the world. And corruption on all ends. I don't think any, any political party has a monopoly on corruption, and neither of them have a monopoly on non-corruption. That is why the Rebbe made such an emphasis, that unless you have an eye and of shamas, and teaching children, there's an eye that sees and an ear that hears, and there's accountability to someone greater than us, everybody's capable of cheating. Have you and I not cheated sometime in our lives? Subtly, not so subtly. That's what's called meir shemayim. In hini Hashem im He's looking at you, standing right near you and checking you out. And even that's not easy. Rabbi Ben Benzake already bemoaned to his own students. Rabbi Ben Benzake, we're talking about from the greatest tanoim to his tanoim students. On his deathbed, what did he say? Halavai. May you have the fear of God, fear of heaven, as much as you fear other people. That's the nature of the beast. I call it specifically a beast. That's the nature after the Tzimtzum We live under the control, to some extent, of the Esav within us, the Nefesh HaBamis. We all have that Ruach Sh'tus that affects us. When you, have, when you don't even acknowledge a God, obviously it can get even worse. Even those that acknowledge that there's a to we know that we have Ganva, Pumach, Tatar, That a Ghana before he goes to steal, he prays to Hashem. How's that dissonance? What kind of insanity is that? Because Amun is Makif, says Chassidus. Since it's Makif, it doesn't internalize. So, yes, you can ask Hashem, who told you, lay sign him not to steal. Ask him to help you steal. You know, one thing is you ignore him. It's because we all have dissonance. If you, if you go out to the world, obviously it's full of it. So don't be so surprised. So how do you not become anxious? How do you not become depressed? You hold on to the ebishter. Exactly. You connect yourself to something higher that doesn't allow you to fall below. And some things that we can control, by all means, exert your control. Things that we can't, we have to rely on as you yourself say. And some people will get away with crimes, and hopefully no one does, but it happens. What can I say? Another writer writes, did the Al Rebbe oppose Napoleon because he thought the freedoms offered by Napoleon would take away the struggle the community had by continuing to maintain their Jewish identity, even though the Tsar made it difficult for us to openly express our religion? Okay, it's an interesting hypothesis, a way of putting it. It's not exactly the way it's explained. The way it's explained is, before I got to your question, so first let me comment. It's explained that that's not because the Holy would take away the struggle. Yes, there's a certain element that it would make into freedoms would be there, and that freedom can lead to apathy and to the godlessness that comes with apathy and being in a comfort zone. So you know what, let me correct myself. Yes, you could say there's an element of the struggle, but it was more than that. It was the whole climate of the Western world, of the Napoleon's vision of what Europe, France and Europe would be. Whereas un- under Alexander, yes, it would be more struggle, but you wouldn't have those challenges. So I could say, yes, I agree with uh, more or less what you're writing here. So based on that, is it possible that Trump lost the election because his support for Israel and the Jews made it too easy for us and took away the struggle? <laughs> That's an interesting chop. I didn't think of that. Basically, he's saying, the writer is saying that maybe he lost because Trump was making it too easy. He was very supportive of Israel and all that came with that. I don't know if that's the case, no. Because first of all, that Rebbe said that now we can already deal with Napoleon and France and so on. So we don't need yet another cause to be more struggle. So indeed, if that was the case, that he made it easy, Halavai would be further that way. And maybe Halavai, Abster runs the show that the, whoever the next president will be will also be, um, be helpful. In general, the United States of America is a supporter of Israel, supporter of Jewish people. So are we going to say now America should, God forbid, be compromised be- because it's making it too easy for the Jewish people? No, I will not say that. So though, so though the first half of your statement has merit, I would not apply that to the situation right now. Next comment or question. If you're, if you're, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, this. I should I read this? What do you think? Okay, we'll read it, but I don't agree with this. If you rearrange the letters of the name of the apparent new vice president, you get a Is that a bad omen for us? <laughs> I, I, I'm sad to read this because I really, do. it to me, no, absolutely not. First of all, bad omens. Since when do uh, the Jewish people run by bad omens? We don't have bad omens. Second of all, to just take a person's name and start turning it, I mean, any name you could probably turn into something that's positive and negative. So I would not go that way. And above all, the sikh I just read, whoever the vice president and president and vice president are, at the end of the day, that's Rokha Pratis, and God hopefully will, well, not hopefully, for sure, will, through them, they will serve what Hashem wants to, of of us and wants of all of us. And anyone a bezem can even a even a broomstick could also shoot if God wants it. Karbish So now, so I don't go for the for names and and these twists of names. This goes to me again. We're going to stoop to that level. We're teider people. If it says something in Taylor you know what's famous. the rest is, is people coming up with their own different twists of words. With, with preconceived already, with already predetermined conclusions, or um, or, or you know, it's like the gematria people make. It has to be a not Then you could say you find also a remez, a hint to it. You don't start with a hint, and definitely not with the agenda in mind. So I'd rather not even uh, consider this as a possibility. And uh, we have to always think for the best, and it's good. The next, when the media announced that Biden was the apparent winner of the election, many people came out of their homes and there were spontaneous singing and dancing in the streets. Can we expect similar spontaneous celebrations when it's announced that Mashiach has been revealed? What does the Torah say will happen the moment Mashiach comes? Will there be big spontaneous celebrations or will it take a few weeks until everyone gets the message and accepts it? This, I I feel proud of this question. Why? Because I don't care about that. Forget about the election. But someone's looking at the election, and right away everything's takes a lesson. How will it be my Mashiach? This is not a comparison to Biden. It's just learning a lesson. You see something, yeah. So, of course, the answer is yes. Mashiach comes. La five definitely be spontaneous. Will it take weeks? I assume that some people maybe wonder and be skeptical. Is this really Mashiach? As is Kamini uh, Gisrael, quote unquote. But overall, yeah. Exactly that. Mashiach bo And then we come, wow, amazing, everything we've been waiting for from the beginning of time. Again, the lesson that you learned from the election, fine, that shows a person's looking with the eyes of Mashiach at everything. And I commend that. It's nice nice to hear. I wouldn't compare it, obviously, as I just said, but to, to learn a lesson from anything, everything is a lesson. You know, they learned lessons, daily learned a lesson from the number that was on a train. As the Rebbe brings, sites. And other things that seemed, seemed completely mundane. Okay, next. What was the story of Adania proclaiming himself king? After David HaMelech passed away, Adania promised him king, which was, of course, not acceptable. Did the people have the power to choose their king, or was only King David able to choose his successor? As the story is told in Anach, only King David. He was not appropriate to be chosen. Shleim HaMelech would become the king. Are there similarities between Adenia trying to usurp the throne to our current situation of either Trump or Biden being a false president? No, absolutely not. I've seen it going around, again, forcing a story which I don't see the connection at all. The United States is based on a democracy of free elections. You can challenge whether the elections are are, are free. I mean, we've always accepted them as being free. You could challenge whether there's certain elect, certain votes and ballots fraud, not fraud. But to make a statement like that, I don't see the comparison at all. And I uh, and I respectfully um, disagree with those that try to apply it to this either way. Again, to me, it's like forcing the issue. I think we have to be a little more humble and step back and let let things go their way. And Hashem will run the show, and everything will be fine. Okay. Another question, which is, I guess, around everything going on here. Someone writes, Should we all make Aliyah to Israel now <laughs> before the next American Civil War begins? I chuckle not because I find it a funny question, I just, uh, you know, envisioning it. So there are a few people actually that feel that way. Based on the elections, I know some people are, are going to be moving to Israel. I think the criteria for moving to Israel goes back to, from the Rebbe, direct guidelines, and what are they? That if you're not if you're in a position here in the United States, or ever in the world, where you're needed for a moiset or something of Gdusha, and the community and people are dependent on you, you can't just pick yourself up and leave because you have a shlichus. If on the other hand you don't have that, and conditions, whether it's financial or other factors, fit in, soul is a beautiful place. Not just I don't mean beautiful, I mean beruchis. And there were many people that did move, with the Rebbe's Bracha. Tzamech did say, Mach er do, to a chassid who wanted to move. Did, did, did that mean that everybody, you see the Rebbe told people who asked and they did move. The Rebbe sent Shluchim to Eretz So it's not for everyone, Mach er do, But there's also that concept that we have to transform everything to Eretz because at the end of the day, it's not a geographical thing to be in Eretz In Eretz also we say, Mach Golinu, Marzenu," Because you have to live Eretz wherever you are. And some people say, which is clearly true, that the Rebbe lived more with Eretz Yisrael than people who lived in Eretz Yisrael. Besides that, we dive in that direction, it's saturated in the Rebbe's entire being. Eretz Yisrael as the triad of Shleim mm-hmm. HaSa'aretz and Shleim HaSa'Teira and Shleim HaSa'am. So, this is more of an individual decision. I'm not, I don't think anyone can give a Herod, call this a general directive. Everybody should move. If you feel that the time has come, whatever reason, by all means, talk to your mashpia, consider it, and if you can do it, do it as, again without compromising anything that you may be responsible for. But next American civil war begins. Yes, we have a country that's quite polarized. I don't see it as a civil war necessarily. You know, If you took away the media and all the hype, there's disagreements. I think there's a lot of people exploiting the disagreements to turn them into whatever their interest is, political, media, and others. And uh, you do, but doesn't that mean we have to become a, one of the parties. You could always remain above it, even though you have a strong opinion about the political, political position positions and policies and so on. Okay, next question. Let me just see here. Does Toyota lean towards socialism or capitalism? This is somewhat of a segue, as you see, from the questions. So here the question is uh, in three parts I have. Is a person allowed, which follows up last week's uh, discussion about why God created wealth, wealthy people. Is a person allowed to, or is, is it proper for them to live corresponding to their wealth, or is luxury more than normal comfort wrong? In other words, if somebody has more money and more wealth and they could live in a luxurious way, is that something they should do or not do? Last episode you mentioned that rich people are created to give is, to give them a chance to share and even it out. Yeah, to do chesed my to do chesed. That's why God blesses them with more. Does this mean that Tater promotes socialism? Redistribution of wealth? Okay, interesting question. So I will answer, I'll read the other questions and then answer them in one fell swoop, all of them. Number two, another question. Do the laws and values of the Tata lean more towards supporting a socialist or capitalist system? Three, there's a story with the Friedrich Rebbe where he said that the Tata incorporates the best of communism and socialism and other systems. What did he mean by that? What are the good parts of socialism and communism? So that story actually, we'll begin with that, is cited by the Rebbe in the beginning of Kuntus and Yonashul Teda The Friedrich Rebbe was once on a train. And there were a bunch of thinkers there, and they were arguing the different economic systems, capitalism and socialism and communism and all the different isms. And then they turned to the Friedrich but what does he say? So he said, the Teira is Teira's sms All these are man-made systems. So the Teira is the best of all of them. So, what does this mean? I actually delivered a paper many years ago on Cambridge University in England And uh, it's actually in writing, you can look it up at MeaningfulLife.com. It's, I believe, a six-part, six parts, but it's a long paper exactly on this question. The economics of the future. Essentially, what what is the Tater's view? So briefly, the Tater's view on this issue, it is the best of all worlds. The Tater's view is definitely not pure raw socialism or Marxism or communism. Because they dictate the concept of not deprivatization of property. The Teda absolutely, not just condones, but it's part of halacha and Teda, private property, private land. Only the Levim, the Qayhanim and Levim, didn't own any land. But everyone else has a property on land. A chelik and etzisro, And all the halachas around that. So that's one of the fundamental principles of socialism at least in its purest form, versus capitalism. On the other hand, Teter mandates and dictates Dhaka, that the way to redeem, because when you have private property, then you have accumulation of wealth and there can be the uneven distribution. And the Ebershtetake says to David HaMelech for chesed purposes, but that, so the Teter advocates Dhaka. But on the other hand, it's not imposed upon. So in answering your question, does that mean that Tata promotes socialism, distribution of wealth? Taylor promotes that a person at their own initiative should be become the mitzvah of Miser or Chemish and support others. And understanding that the wealth they were blessed with is in order to distribute it. Socialism dictates that it should be imposed on people. Just for those who are familiar with, the, with one, have a little bigger picture, Andrew Carnegie wrote a paper called Wealth, later the Gospel of Wealth we're actually very similar based on the Tata approach, which Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have followed that, that uh, essay, which is that you have to self-impose when you're blessed with wealth, but not anyone else imposing upon you. So b- briefly, the theta is essentially, I'm not going to say capitalism, but it does believe in people having property and they can accumulate wealth, but how do you avoid the selfishness? And that's where Communism, or even Marxism, offers one of the one of the positive things is there that you should realize that exploitation and the alienation that wealth produ- produces has to be countered. Their approach, which and end of the being was not tenable, was not workable, just was not viable. Was what they tried to do actually created more selfishness and more power in one individual's hand? As the Rebbe explains that uh, that communism. Which claimed that everybody should be equal, everybody who works all, everything goes in one pot, and everyone gets according to what they need, ended up exploiting individual power worse than any capitalistic system. But what you could learn from them is the idea that, that capitalism, in its purest form, can end up being, it's all me, and I don't care about another. It, it, it could it be cultivated greed and corruption and exploitation and alienation. I elaborated all. elaborate on all of this in the paper that I mentioned. Just look for wealth and spirituality or something like that, or the, or the soul of wealth on uh, at MeaningfulLife.com. If you have a difficulty finding it, just send us a message and we'll be happy to share the link with you. It's a long paper that talks about it, from the perspective the, from, from throughout the different trader sources and resources about this. Mishkin, gold, silver, and copper, of course wealth, and all angles of this that ultimately that Teira's view is a unique type of economy where it's it. and recognizing the wealth doesn't come from you, it comes from a higher place, and recognizing what Chassidus says, that in your wealth are Nitzutzik Gedusha, sparks, divine sparks, waiting to be released and elevated, that's what creates a balance of an economy that on one hand has private property and there's wealth, and there can be an unequal uh, level of wealth and social classes, and yet at the same time, At the same time, through Zduk and through generally Bittl, you create a system that there is sharing and there is understanding why you're blessed with wealth in order for there to be chesed in this world. So that's the brief answer to that. Now, let's see where we are with time here. Okay, so let me do a uh, follow-up. Well, online addiction continues to be, unfortunately, a problem. So continue to get more, more feedback on it. So let me do one letter that came in. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, last week you painfully read out a letter from a bocher who struggles with Internet addiction. I was shocked in hearing him deciding not to get married because he's still struggling. Let me say the following. I too struggled with this as a bacher student. I used Guard Your Eye tools, went to therapy, spoke it over with my mashpia, went to live group meetings. I too was scared to get married, based on the theory that marriage makes it worse, quote unquote. However, my mashpia and therapist pushed me to get married. Guess what? Since I've been married, I haven't fallen again. Baruch Hashem. So why do so many people claim marriage makes it worse? My understanding is that those that didn't give it all, they got as a single guy, thinking marriage will help, unfortunately found out the hard way. Those that fought hard as a single. Marriage most probably will help. Maybe marriage is exactly the thing you need. I too couldn't stop completely, even with everything. I tried, but my, my marriage did end up stopping it. Speak with your mashpia therapist about getting married, make a plan, etc. One thing is clear, don't ever think you can't get married because I'm the proof that it can be done. You can check out my thread on Guard Your Eyes, it's called A Struggling bacher. Schnitzel and Kugel, my G-Y-E name. Much Thank you very much, Rabbi Jacobson, for the amazing work you're doing, really inspiring for many, and you've completely changed my life and view on life by explaining the Rebbe's sichers so clearly and applying it to our struggles. And there's many like me. Isn't that cool? Thanks again. Okay. Speaks for itself. I'll just read two things more about the COVID. I think we're still with COVID, and now they say there's a spike. Again, such confusion and unknowns, what can I tell you? Does COVID represent a plague-like atmosphere similar to that of the days of Pharaoh? Considering the disasters, COVID, and other recent events, could these events represent a plague-like atmosphere similar to that days of Pharaoh? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Obviously, everything has its own unique differences. But the fact of the matter is, as I have explained a number of times in this program, the whole concept of quarantine... During a plague, comes from the story of Mitzrayim. The apostle Kempashe Boi, that when it came, Moshe says to the Eden, And you shall not leave the door of your home till the morning. Because there's a plague raging outside. There's rashi sites there. So what Ebeshter couldn't tell the difference between a Jew and an un a Jew and an Egyptian... So, once it says, there's permission given for the destructive angel to do negative things, you have to lay low. Of course, God can distinguish, but it's a time of a, yeah, whatever the word you want to use. And the Gemara of Khamed, Samach Ahmed Beyes, where it talks about a devil, if there's a devil, a plague in the city, what you're supposed to do. Sides this posseg, as halacha does. So there is that element. But let's not, I don't want to say it in a panic-like and fearful way. When anything comes of that nature, even if it's a man-made, you could say, it with, some people argue that it came from a lab in China. But regardless, once it became a plague that spread like that, everywhere, there's an, there is a certain element, and the maskana from this is not about fear, but should be humility, to be careful. So that's how I would uh, translate this uh, situation we're in. Is there a similarity between our time and the generation of the flood? Another type of comparison. When I was in yeshiva, I was told that the reason the generation of the flood, epi- of the flood epitomized evil and deserved to be destroyed was because they actually enacted laws that promoted people committing crime. Is there a similarity to today's atmosphere where new where new laws are are arguing to defund and emasculate the police, decriminalizing drug use, revolving door criminal justice, and turning criminals who threaten the police with weapons into modern-day heroes. Should we be afraid that God may see our generation as evil and slay us for, I don't even want to use the word here, destruction? And what can we do do individually to turn things around? So here, let's make one thing very clear. The Abishtha made it clear there'll never be another Mabul. So to make a comparison to that is simply of, of uh, absolutely no. There was a time once in history that happened, Mola Audit Shachas, Hamas. There was a world filled with uh, destruction, corruption, and sin and crimes. And Abishtha the, the Mabul came. But then the Abishtha made a crisis breeze, there would never be another Mabul. So I would not, nor compare. With Mitzrayim, there's the posuk. Even though, again, there's so many things that it's not the same. Secondly, we live in a world where, yes, there are misdeeds, there are criminals, there are problems, and some people have very weird and distorted policies. But at the end of the day, this is a peaceful world. It's a world that's run by law and order. It's a al chesed. The Jewish people especially have benefited. So to paint a picture like you're painting here, like this is all evil, and God is ready to... It's not the case. There's much good in this world, and much beauty. And I'm not talking, I'm not naive. Of course there are other sides as well, but to look only at that, and not look at so many of the beautiful things that human beings do today, including in this country, even with all this lawlessness that's happened the last while, it's still a country that is a Malchus al chesed. And as I said, the Jewish people and all people benefit from it. Can it be improved? Are there people trying to destroy? There are. Again, a lot of it is being hyped. There are people with a lot of agendas, so we have to stand strong. But I would not at all paint such a, a bleak and dark picture. Simply not the case. I'm saying that unequivocally based on my understanding, based on what I see from the Rebbe, how the Rebbe spoke about these things. Yes, there are things that we should, we should argue that children should be educated with the God, with morality, with ethics. We keep, on, we keep on driving that point home and we keep on fighting for that. But that's not how I would define this country or for that matter the world. So there's many things to be corrected but we are on the threshold, as the Rebbe says, of the Geula. Now when you're looking close, sometimes you see only the dark. You see the immediate issue. But you have to look at somewhat at the bigger picture. Okay. And what can we do as individuals? Don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. Think good, spread light, use your skills. Do you have any limits to be able to spread a good word today? I can speak from my own experience. The last seven, eight months since COVID, I've done more programs than ever, reached more people than ever. No one has stopped me. The only thing that would stop me would be my own fear or my own uh, laziness. So I don't see anyone saying, no, you can't spread a good word. You want to really do something? If you feel this way, commit yourself to find ways to, using technology, using other means to spread chassidus, to spread Yiddishkeit, to spread the light of to spread Shev and Anyone stopping anyone from doing that. So to paint a picture like this as if someone's holding you back, no, it's only our own resistance within. And to focus only on this and it just will create, will create a lot of negative energy and depression and so on. We were taught a non-polyamamanan. We are day workers. We're here to bring light and day. That doesn't mean we ignore. It doesn't mean we are in denial or escapism. It just means that's how you battle darkness, bringing light into the world. You see this type of attitude? So become more. become a strong advocate. Become a warrior for light, for peace, for justice, for law and order, for generosity, virtue. You counter it with even more strength. So if you see the darkness is getting stronger, so become a greater ambassador of light. So I challenge you in return to anyone, that, to the one who asked, wrote this question or anyone else. That's how we individually can address it. Okay. Um, so let us do now see this question. As is our custom at the end of the programme and then the reviewing the next the next um, place winners of the essay and creative contest. Let's see this question. If you could please explain what it says in Derach Mitzvasekha, Ardu Sashem, mitzvus Ardu Sashem. Now read the Hebrew. <laughs> To literally translate that, even though it's the lowest of the worlds, but it's closer to the eagle ha-godl, which is the, it's obviously not physical, conceptual, to the surrounding light that surrounds the whole makam ponim, the space that was created through the tzimtzum. So, Ilam haza is closer to that eagle ha-godl, because the only thing between haza and the igul Godl is the Iguli of Ak. odem Kadman. Let me read the question, then I'll explain what this means. The way I understand circles, Asiya would be in the smallest circle, basically the middle point of all circles. Then how is Asiya closer to the closest to the Igul Godl? Thank you for all your hard work, which is greatly better. Hashem should bless you and your family. Okay. So again, I qualify that everything I say now is obviously the language that Chizkid cites from the Eitz Chaim, from that Izal. So it's not physical, but we have to use a physical example because that's the example it's used. sof The only thing that existed was divine infinite consciousness. sof. But when that's when that's in a conscious and a revealed state, nothing else can exist. Lo That's the language. There's no space, there's no room, there's no place for it. It's like a brilliant teacher that fills the entire expanse. There's no room for anyone else. So, what did the do in a way that we could understand? But he did, obviously, call Yochel the could do anything. But he wanted us to have some type of understanding. Simpsum addition, Simpsum ere, se As we know, it's not Simpsum kipshute. He concealed that divine consciousness and left space and room. It would be like a brilliant teacher who's not just. Flowing freely, he's quiet, so he allows the space for a student to now emerge. So now we have a second independent consciousness that can emerge, and that would be the space where all of existence now can emerge. If that didn't happen, it would just be like, think of an infinite sea, and there's no, no room for land to emerge, just as an example. Then came a kav, a, a very narrow thread of light, that's like the teacher beginning to a stream of consciousness coming from what? Because what happened with the light? The light moved to the side, again, conceptually, leaving space. It means it didn't disappear. The teacher still is brilliant, but his brilliance is now, so to speak, receded inwardly, leaving space for the, for the other, the student, or for the existence. But then starts a stream of consciousness. That light that recedes is called the eagle. Ha-godl. It's like the big circle. Why? Because it surrounds makif, which means concealed from, but removed from, the space where existence. But then the kav connects. The kav, the Chaim says, is misagel. The kav is a straight line, so it's a flow, but then it creates an eagle. It, like a, like a, Think of it like a thread, creates a circle. So it's creating makifim again. The first igulim is the igulim and the makif of ak, Adam them kadim, ten, ten igulim. Ego for for chachma, for bina, for for The kav is continuing down, so you have now a line that's creating circles. Then come the circles of akudim. Then come the circles of Tayu uh, nikudim and v'rudim So every every dimension of existence within this space is made up of a makif and a pnimi. The kav is a pnimi because it's a straight line that creates. Higher and lower, and penetrates within mamala kalalman. It's called yesher, and igulim is the circles that are makif. The makif. So chokhmah has a makif, and bin has a makif, but chokhmah has a pnimi, and bin has a pnimi, and also in the worlds, ak has makifim, the ak, igulim of ak, and there's the pnimi of ak. So each part of existence has that which hovers above. In the mussel, there's the things the student understands that the teacher is explaining, and the things that remain above his head. That's like makif. But here comes the interesting twist. Since an eagle doesn't have mata, doesn't have higher and lower, an eagle, which is the top, which is the bottom, it's all equal. A kav has higher and lower. That which is higher up is closer to the top of the line or the thread of light. So mamala is higher and lower. And the makiv, the makiv is an equalizer. Everything within the circle is equalized. But a pnimi, is at the bottom of the kav. It's even lower than the kav. So in an interesting way, because it's the lowest, what eagle does it relate to most? It's as close as possible to the eagle agadal, which surrounds the whole thing. So Asiyah is not in the center. That's not correct. It's circles within circles, it's true, but Asiyah is below the kav, so it's it's from the lower circles of Asiyah, and it's lower in the primi, the lowest part of the kav, and even after the kav, because the kav does end at some point, because the Kabbalah that Rizal says if the Kav would go all the way down, you'd have the same problem. The Kav would have no more mata; It wouldn't be higher and lower. There'd be no hierarchy because everything would again be equal. So the Kav has a place it ends. A sea is below that. So it in a, a paradoxical way, relates, can relate more to the Igul godla because the only thing between the Kav and the Igul godla are only the Igulim of Ak, which are the big circles that surround everything within the Cholol Amok The Igulim of Atsilas are higher. So, Atsilis is interestingly not as close to the eagle Hagadol as Asiya is. Now, of course, this is all conceptual. It's saying that Maisib a pale, making Adira betakhtayim in Asiya, with that you can access and you connect, like safe Maisa a That the end of the Maisib, the end of Asiya, originates where? Machsavet the beginning of thought. And even higher, you see Asiya here has some relationship with the eagle Hagadol. So, the lower it is, the more connection it has to the Igula Godla, which surrounds the whole entity. Atzilas, for example, is somewhere in the middle. So in the level of hierarchy of the Kav, Pnimi, Atsilus is higher than Asiya. Because more Giluim there. But regarding Makif, regarding that transcendent energy, there's an element in Asiya that's closer to the transcendent energy than even is. That's the brief explanation. I hope I did, uh, did justice to it. Let us conclude now with this is the sixth annual My Life City Applied Essay and Creative Contest. We announced it right after, right before Rosh Hashanah, right at time. So now I'm going to just review sh- briefly four different submissions. This year there were so many, there were th- 13 tracks four for men in Hebrew, four for women in Hebrew, including the student one, that's eight. There was a, a, a creative, which is nine. And then four in English, the English essays. So that's thirteen. We gave out a total of over thirty-three thousand dollars in prizes. So now we're the fifth place winners. The first essay, the fifth place essay, English winner is "The Superhuman Unmasked" by Anonymous, age nineteen, student, based Chana Tzva Seminary. This was the only exception we allowed anonymous because it's not the rules say no anonymous. Which this essay may have even won first prize were it not anonymous but for this if you read the essay you'll see why we had to agree to anonymous because it's a very sensitive issue and it deals with special children this is a must read anyone for all of us but especially if you're dealing with or you have a family member dealing with with the down syndrome or other special need children a must read essay extremely well done very very heart touch heart wrenching but very powerful and um and I thank the writer of this essay. And because of the obvious need for confidentiality, it, we have Anonymous on it. You can see the read this essay at chassidissupply.com. You'll see the essay contest. This is the fifth place, the superhuman unmasked. Going through all the things, the directors we have from, from the Rebbe, from Chassidus, how to deal with special children. The fifth place essay in Hebrew by men, was called Trumas Hachsidis Bizmodedut Im Kishalon. The contribution of Hachsidis in dealing with failure. And this is by Mendel Rager, age 32, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Shliach. And exactly as the title suggests, takes dealing with failure, not allowing it to get you down, taking the different approaches out there, and showing Hachsidis helps a person get through failure and actually grow through it. The fifth place essay in Hebrew women, Lifker B'chaim, to choose life. Ruchi Spitzer, educator in Buenos Aires, Argentina. This is a very powerful essay as well, which addresses the issue of self-worth. The healthy form of self-worth and unhealthy forms. Bishvili Nivra Elam. That responsibility, finding within ourselves that confidence that deeper self-esteem to be able to achieve our calling in this world. Another great essay to read. The Hebrew essays I should mention can be seen at diraloy.org. D-I-R-A-L-O.org are the Hebrew essays. And finally, the fifth place creative winner called Mind Control, Controlling Our Thoughts According to Chassidus. It's a video accompanied by music. Nechama Dina Rosenberg, age 20, teacher's assistant, Brooklyn, New York. I just watched it earlier. Excellent. Takes a story with the Magid about how one de- develops mind control. Does it beautifully with a beautiful tune. Beautiful tune and, uh, and, uh, and text that really can, uh, I think, have great impact. And you just see the creative way of bringing chesidus in such an applied fashion. I will say about the superhuman unmasked, I want to just say one more thing, that uh, the writer begins saying, in this essay I'd like to bring out Hasidus' views, special needs, and how to create a relationship with them. Although the best the world can say is we'll try to give them the best life he can have despite his lackings, and we'll work with what little we have. In this essay I will demonstrate how the Rebbe taught that those with special needs have a special mission of their own. They're not subhuman but superhuman, they're not lacking in any way, rather, they have very special strengths and qualities that most of us lack. So, with this, we conclude My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 331. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone be blessed. It should be a very kislev, and and Freilche tomid, and to hamitis, Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupply.com slash donate.